Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a podcast from therapists for clients about the healing journey. We hope this will be a resource of encouragement, comfort, insight, and understanding for you along this courageous process. Welcome to Beyond Trauma podcast. We're glad you're here. Today it's just Bridger and I in the studio. Jen is on vacation to California. We miss you, Jen. We're sad you're not here miss with us. Miss you so badly. Yes. Come back soon. <laughs> yes. Yes. Please come back. But in the meantime... But I was gone like last episode. That's true. So that's true. it's a little there's bit a, of a trade. There's and a lot you of travel. Were gone I know. I am the one before. We've just all been. We will be all back together <laughs> at some point. There's just been a lot of vacationing and that. trips and you know school. School that's been happening as well. Doctoral programs. Yes, lots of things. But, Good but hard. Yeah. So today we have a super exciting topic mm. that both you and I are uh, going to try to contain ourselves. And yes. Our level of enthusiasm. Jen is for not this topic. here. <laughs> <laughs> to keep us in line. Yeah, to keep us grounded. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we will do our best to ground ourselves in this. Sorry uh, in advance. <laughs> yeah, very uh, scintillating topic, which is mm. left and right hemispheres of yes. the brain, of the human brain. The human brain, important distinction. Yes, and its relevance to understanding the impact of trauma. Yes. And our lived experience as human beings. And we want to start with the conversation about what most of us know about left and right hemispheres of the yeah. brain, um, what kind of pop psychology has mm-hmm. uh, highlighted about yeah. the two different hemispheres and uh, share what is actually scientifically relevant yes. and uh, important about Across those distinctions. Across the wide debate, yes. which there is. Um, I'm curious what, um, if you remember uh, when left brain versus right brain personality hmm. types kind of came in, I feel like, at least Was in my awareness, for your... in, not in school by any okay. means, uh, but after school. So I would say in the last maybe six to eight years. I would say about ten is when. Yeah. In my awareness. Yeah. Um, certainly in the you know the better part of a decade, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of emphasis on um, understanding ourselves through hemispheric distinction. But I think also that has tracked a lot with the general industry boom of interest in uh, typology tests um thank you facebook for (laughs) giving us a million different ways to test our own personality including which harry potter character are you very important super relevant yep what house you're from yep absolutely you know gryffindor you're you're talking to two gryffindors right here so like is anybody shocked no (laughs) no lupin all the way no sorry yeah (laughs) um so uh from two gryffindors that identify as wait did you say lupin yes okay why? <laughs> Luna, love good. Yeah, yeah, she's there too. That's mine. <laughs> That's mine. If you're out there, Luna, uh-huh. I love you. Yes. <laughs> so the the debate and the conversation around left and right hemisphere is really about the overemphasis mm-hmm. of the differences and the um, the divide yes. between the two which is useful in some ways and certainly interesting to conceptualize it that way. But there's a little bit of a, not a little bit of a debate, a lot of a debate and a little bit of a a struggle around, uh, number one, how neurobiologically accurate is that? It's not. It's not. Yeah. And so then the question is, is it useful and relevant to talk about hemispheric distinctions at all? And if it is, 
is it relevant what needs to happen yeah is yeah. it relevant in our consideration consideration of what does it mean to heal from yeah. trauma so what is the stereotype that you're talking about like what do you right, understand right. as so a left brain, a left brain yeah, person. a left brain person likes math oh yes logic <laughs> yes. very analytical uh, yeah black uh-huh. and white these are the accountants of the world these are the people that really like doing sudoku in their downtime um those folks those folks are, are yeah. the left brain people um and then the right brain people mm-hmm. are totally different yep they don't think apparently no they hated school they hated school oh god no yeah unless it was drama class right or, or art choir yeah, we do choir. something yes. musical, something <laughs> creative in the humanities. And they're usually really eccentric and free-spirited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, probably mysterious. Probably mysterious and definitely Flowy. hated math. Oh, yeah. yeah I think bar- you said that more than Barely once. do arithmetic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do I budget? They're I don't know. not functional in math. <laughs> yes. Of course, this is all hyperbole. ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the answer is all of us have both a left and right right hemisphere and we function with both of them operating all the time well and that's what i think a lot of people don't understand is that it's it's intended to be a partnership mm-hmm. not one foot in front of the other yeah it's which not I think you is go then an i easy, go yeah yeah and i think that's an easy misstep to take mm-hmm. of well okay i get that it's not just this pop psychology thing where um it's not just that this person hates math or something right, like that. Right. But where do you go from that? Mm-hmm. If that's not the case, then what is right, the case? Right. And I think viewing it as these are two parts, you know, you know, two major structures in the human brain, mm-hmm. easily identified. When people think of a brain, these are the two, yes. the two uh, like obvious lobe <laughs> yeah. things. The thing, if you're just yes. looking at a, a picture of the human brain, it's like a line straight a, down the line middle. straight down the yes. middle with two like looking you know, all these different creases and crevices mm-hmm. and things on the brain. Mm-hmm. And the big line down the middle separates the left from the right hemisphere. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but what people don't typically understand is that there's so much being communicated across that divide. There is everything yes. being communicated across the divide. Talking about millions of things per oh. second. Oh, the most um, dendrite-dense yes. and electrically conductive mm-hmm. uh, material in the human body. Yeah exists one of the ways a professor in my undergraduate program explained a dendrite connection to me was uh just a phone line mm-hmm. it, it's like mm-hmm. an old switchboard phone mm-hmm. line if you yep. think plug about it, it like in that. on this side yep. plug it in on that side and yeah. millions millions of dendrite connections yes. are happening across yes the the two hemispheres in the corpus yes. callosum which is at the base if you if you were to explore down that gigantic mm-hmm. cavern that's right. between the two hemispheres right. you'd find this super dense yes um really grainy looking right mass that is going between the two hemispheres yeah. so somebody described it this way if you think about the grand canyon yeah right and each uh hemisphere the left and the right hemisphere is each side of the canyon yeah that little dip that we see is the canyon itself and the river that runs along the bottom of the canyon is yep. the corpus callosum there and you go all of the the communication that happens from one hemisphere to the other is going to happen through that river and it is super electrically con- conductive. Yes. Um, the amount of information that's flying between the two sites at any given time is astronomical, like right. truly, literally astronomical. Like yeah. the amount of information is overwhelming. And just by way of quick summary of where the field has gone with that, you know, notif- noticing that there's two different hemispheres, mm-hmm. it kind of begs the question, well, what does each one do? Mm-hmm. That question you would think... Uh, would come to some type of salient answer, mm-hmm. but it's been so widely debated, and yes. so many things have come out that have been disproven. Yes, and then other things have come out that have not been disproven, but that are actually not as helpful mm-hmm. clinically. Mm-hmm. But that 
one hemisphere does this, the other hemisphere does this. Right. Which is the bedrock of where we get this, that's a left brain person. Yes. That's a right brain person. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like a more helpful analogy of where the science is now, and with all humility recognizing that we could get new information tomorrow, and yep. our understanding about how the brain works in this way could change because neuroscience as a discipline is uh, in its infancy yes and our uh, tools and ability to measure and and then understand the information that we're getting from those measurements is uh, really really um basic yeah. at this point yes. the, the amount that we'll know 30 years from now about how the brain communicates yeah. with itself and what that means is going to change everything so what we're saying here today will be irrelevant in a decade yeah we'll know so much more yes. that it will just say why would you even talk uh, yeah, about that yeah that is super basic <laughs> of guys. course yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is where we are today and i think that anytime we're talking about neurobiology it is with the greatest of humility yes. and understanding that there is much more that we don't understand about the brain and about the human nervous system than there is that we do. And so most of the time we speak in analogy yeah. because we have to kind of anthropomorphize our own nervous system in order to make any sense of what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, but when we do that, we have to admit and make it explicit that we are anthropomorphizing something that we barely have even begun to understand. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing about, you know, the lights you see at night in the sky. Yes. Those are stars. Yeah. What does that mean exactly? But yeah, and most of those stars have already gone out. Right. Burning balls of gas millions and millions of miles away that no longer exist. Right. And somehow... <laughs> but I'm still seeing them. But I'm still seeing them. But they're not there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so that is about the level of our understanding of our own neurobiology. Exactly. Which is amazing um, and gives me a tremendous amount of awe. Yes. So um, to ground this and talk about why this is relevant to mm. the normal human being walking around with this brain in their head. Yeah. Um, understanding that our hemispheres are always both working. Mm -hmm. They are always in constant... In a normal brain where we don't have some type of yes, injury a or... a TBI, yeah, et cetera, yeah, yeah. an organic dementia issue, et cetera. Yes. Um, so normally we're walking around with lightning speed and a gajillion uh, amounts, little bits of information flying across our two hemispheres at any given time. Yes. And the reason why this seems to be necessary is because the ways that each hemisphere prioritize and process information coming both from outside of ourselves in our environment mm -hmm. and from inside of ourselves in our own body mm -hmm. has to be constantly um, categorized, cross-referenced. Kind of translated. Yes, translated and made meaning of Yeah. in order to make it relevant to the human experience and help our body make decisions about what to do to stay alive and to attain resources from our environment and to procreate and nurture our young and all the things that our nervous system yeah. is really concerned with. One of the ways I like to think about it is there's sort of like a, if you think of that cavern again, the Grand Canyon, mm -hmm. there's like a meeting place right. between the two hemispheres with, yeah. with each of them has representatives. Yes. The left brain, the, the left hemisphere has a representative and the right brain. And it's from their meeting that we mm -hmm. make meaning, mm -hmm. quote unquote, of our experience. Yes. This is where the stories get told. Exactly. Yes. What's and it how like we over know, there? Yeah. And here's what I'm getting. What <laughs> yes. are you getting? Yes. Oh, okay. Let's compare well, this note, these notes with right. each other. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it, what if one of the representatives showed up and was unable to talk mm -hmm. well what now if, or what if one decided to not come to the meeting right exactly yes yeah. yes and this is a picture of what trauma does yeah hemispherically yeah is that it starts to diminish reduce make less likely 
the connectivity and communication between the hemispheres. To where one hemisphere has to kind of fill in the details. Mm -hmm. Well, both hemispheres have to fill in the details that it would normally rely on the other to help with. Mm -hmm. Suddenly it's kind of left to make up its own version of the story or experience and fill in those gaps that it would normally have help filling in. Yeah. And this gets super relevant mm-hmm. when it comes to what does trauma do to us? How do we experience trauma? And then how do we make sense of the trauma after the fact? And how do we heal from trauma? That lack of effective and efficient communication between the hemispheres causes a breakdown of the normal information processing that our brain is highly equipped to do. Mm. But trauma always has a direct impact on our information processing system. So right yeah. there, yep. I think that we should pause say more about and that. say, hey, you have an information processing system in systems. your nervous systems. In your nervous Multiple. system. Multiple, yeah. And uh, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does it do? What is it for? Um, and so I, don't, I have my own definition of that, Bridger, but why don't yeah. you start with how do you describe and explain the information processing system of the human nervous system to your clients? I use a ton of analogies. Yeah, because it's really <laughs> the only the way to way. do it. Yeah, because yes. there's just, it's so hard. But when we say information processing system, we're not just talking about some type of idea or philosophy. Like these are actual structures yes. in your brain yes. communicating yes. Uh, with one another. And that is shaped over time. So mm-hmm. essentially, it's it. You know, one of the analogies that I use is the, um, you know, the elephant phone game. Mm-hmm. If you've ever played that, mm-hmm. where one, you know, you're sitting in a circle with people, and one person tells something to the next person, and then that to the next to mm-hmm. the next, and it has to go all the way around. Why is there an elephant? Well, it's like I saw a red elephant. Oh, okay. and you say that or something <laughs> like that, and you just go okay. all the way over, and uh-huh. it gets to be, you know. Um, Something totally different. Yeah, something yes. about a telephone. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. no, that's not that's what I said at all. Yeah, but that is an experience of what it's like for the brain to have to communicate with various different structures mm-hmm. in itself. And that circuit is what makes up an information processing system. Mm-hmm. So in your everyday life, you know, you're taking in information through all of your senses, mm-hmm. uh, your sight, smell, touch, sound, uh, you know, feeling, whatever else. And that information now has to be made sense of or mm-hmm. known what to do with and that yeah. gets processed you know this is very simple language to explain some pretty difficult uh, neurobiology but that information has to be passed through all of your lived experience yep has to be checked against what you know is dangerous or what you what you think is going to be uh, concerning something you should pay more attention to mm-hmm. It scans for other things in the room of like, are there other people here? What does this mean? And all of that is changing the way that you make sense of something you're hearing right. or something you're seeing or something you're experiencing. Right. That is an example of how an information processing system renders meaning of an experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the pieces that I think is really relevant to this conversation is something that most of us have heard about and spent um, some time thinking about, especially if we have trauma of our own, is memory. Mm-hmm. What is it? Yeah. And how accurate is it? That is a controversy. Right? Yeah. And that is a function of our information processing system. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of research studies at this point that say um, that eyewitness accounts are terribly flawed. Yes. And inconsistent. Not reliable. Yeah. And the reason for that is because each human being has a unique to them, unique to their lived experience, information processing system. And part of what that means is that we can be exposed to the same experience, Mm -hmm. 
have the same external stimuli come into our system, but because of our unique filters, Mm -hmm. our unique information processing system, what actually gets laid down as memory and coded into our memory banks is going to be different from yeah. one individual really, to another. Really, it only matters to you. Yeah, it is yeah. only the the reality that you experience is incredibly unique to you. Yes. And that means that when you ask 10 people what happened on the day of that accident, you will literally get 10 different stories. Yeah. And that does not mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean that they're making something up. It doesn't mean anything that we're used to thinking of in terms of, well, if the stories don't match, then what really happened? Yeah. What really happened is an emergence of all mm-hmm. of these stories in combination with each other. And reality is exactly what they described. It's just that that was their reality. Their own experience. Their own experience. Another great it. example of this is, you know, if you ask three siblings. In what, a family. Yeah, yes. What yes. their experience of mom was yes. growing up. Yeah. We're yeah. going to get such What kind different... of mom was mom? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember how this went down? And that's not how I remember it. I don't even remember that going down. Yes. What? (laughs) How did you forget that? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. My sister does that to me all the time. Do you remember when mom did? No. I I don't even even remember. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just had a conversation with a client that this is how we were trying to process through um, how her information processing system and attachment style kind of developed over time. Right. And she had to go kind of check her experience with With her her siblings siblings to see what did I leave out? Because that's what she kept experiencing as I would ask her questions. He would say, I feel like I should know that answer, but I just, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. And that is an example of where the information processing system kind of just excluded Mm -hmm. some of these things from relevance. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. because it's being passed through. This is what you need to do to get through the situation. Right. Right. This person, and just to get back into the hemispheres, very uh, left brain dominant Mm -hmm. and what i mean by that and this is something we're going to get into that'll maybe organize the rest of our conversation is when you have an experience of a story Mm -hmm. versus a wash of a state or like an emotion Mm -hmm. an affective experience Mm -hmm. and we can kind of parse those two out but very simply the left brain is very concerned concerned with story yes how did this go down? Mm-hmm. Here's all the information that you're requesting from me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you it. And in this person, because they're very left brain dominant, there's almost no affect present mm-hmm. in her speech that she's mm-hmm. talking to me. Something, and she's like laughing. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's clearly not something right. she should be laughing at. Right. And if she's not laughing, she has blank affect, mm-hmm. just like a straight face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just be telling staring you about at the me. worst day yes. of my life. Just staring at yes. me, or something narcissistic and manipulative that her mother did when she yes. was young. Yes, and she's just like, you know, that's mom. Mm-hmm. That's what like, she does. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why are you not weeping? That's right awful. Now? <laughs> you realize that, you know? And, and so, yeah, that's, and they can even say, "Oh yeah, I know it was terrible. Right. I know it's I know. bad. I know. I know. I know. That's yes. the yes. I know. Yes. Versus I feel. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. But that is just an example of omitted affect right and this is going to get into attachment really really fast mm-hmm. and we'll talk a little bit about that but the left brain is pretty unconcerned with affect with emotional experience because it's just messy it's harder to organize it's harder well, to... i would say it's concerned with it in the sense that it would like to organize it please yeah like it pays attention to it for the purpose of organizing a story i guess i'd be okay with saying that as long as we rope in as soon as it can't organize it, it gets rid of it. I would agree with that. Yes. Yeah, it's sort of like, um, you know, if you've ever shared a room with a sibling and that sibling won't clean their side of the room. <laughs> yeah. 
um, at some point you just go get a trash bag. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for the left brain emotion, if it hasn't had a successful experience of processing emotion mm-hmm. and it just tends to bog them down and get in their way of responding appropriately, quote unquote, to a situation, mm-hmm. they're just going to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. This emotion, uh, well, we'll just not give a lot of weight to it. We'll make sure to say that it was there because other people seem to be really concerned with us mm-hmm. saying that it was there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I felt bad about mm-hmm. this. Well, I feel of sad, obviously, yeah, yeah. because that mom makes sense. hurt me. Yeah, and so this I feel is a sad, sad thing, so I should feel sad. But it's mm-hmm. not, it's almost like it's not hooked up to their body well i think that's exactly right right that that when you're having a left-brained experience it by its very nature is disconnected from the part of your nervous system that creates an affect of sensation in the rest of your body which is why i can tell a story and not respond to it in my body yeah versus sometimes i tell a story and oh my gosh i get a huge physical Wash. response yeah. yes yeah. and that has to do with the level of communication in between that the two hemispheres. back yes. to the meeting place between yes. the two hemispheres yeah. it's like they're the, talking to the left other. brain showed up and the right brain was just like mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah just kind of shoulder shrug right of i don't know what you want from me right now yes. we're based on an organizing principle that says we're going to hear less from me mm-hmm. and more from you mm-hmm. on the story mm-hmm. so here's just like written piece of information on right. a piece of paper right you're supposed to feel sad about this right okay mm-hmm. i'll tell people that or i have this vague memory of maybe i felt sad back then right yeah but I'm not can't actually connect with yeah it. i'm not experiencing it right now in this present moment and this conversation starts to lead into what does it mean to consider hemispheres in therapy oh man and the importance of integrating both the the left story, the left hemisphere story, and the right brain's affect state, sense, yeah. feeling, lived experience, etc. Both are necessary yes. in order for trauma to really be resolved. I must feel accurately and yeah. connect with the sensation of what happened to me thoroughly. So can you give an example of... We, we kind of did the left brain dominant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example of a right brain dominant person? Kind sure. of in a similar situation. Yes, yes. So uh, a right brain dominant person, when they are uh, recalling something that happened to them, yeah. their story uh, barely even feels like a story. They're, yeah. they're going to struggle with a beginning, a middle, and end. Usually these people will say things to me like, I'm, I'm so sorry this is so scattered and jumbled. I, don't, I know this doesn't make sense. But this is just, you know, all I have is just kind of like pieces and the feeling. And I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. I I can organize it for you. Yes. What they're telling me is I am totally in my right brain right now. Yeah. I am feeling this, experiencing it, and it's just kind of tumbling out in the big right brain mess. It's not organized and pretty. Yeah, because their left hemisphere is was either not present at the time of the trauma, which mm-hmm. is a thing that happens a lot, mm-hmm. um, or in the midst of reaccessing that trauma and feeling it, their left hemisphere is going, I don't know what the heck to do with this. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm totally overwhelmed by the amount of feeling and affect and the jumbled nature yeah. of this experience. I have not yet made a clear story of this. So when they go to tell it, we get just the right hemisphere, bleh, yeah. you know, explosion. <laughs> Here's of all affect, the pieces. Yeah. Um, which is not a negative thing at all. Yeah. And if I had to choose one, I would actually choose that I like that, that one. Yeah. It's easier yeah, to yeah, integrate. Like I, I can do the left brain storytelling thing for you, yeah. but 
Um, Plugging emotion and feeling back into yes. story is really hard. Yes. So uh, a phrase that comes straight out of my history with the church, oh, which I did not like in that context, yes. but I do like it in this context, is go. it's much easier to calm the living than wake the dead. Oh, wow. <laughs> so for all of you with a church background that was a little bit shamey, sorry Man. about that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but in this context, that's really true. My body is still taking that in. Sorry. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, so the right brain experiences very, very feelings-based. Mm -hmm. And by feelings, I don't mean just knowing that I'm feeling sad. I mean I'm feeling it. The texture of the feeling, the location in my body, the intensity of it, the clenching of the muscles, mm -hmm. my breath rate is changing. Um, you know, I'm flushing, my body's sweating, I feel twitchy, I can't make eye contact. It's happening yeah. right now. I'm yeah. feeling it. That is a right brain experience. And when, when you're doing trauma processing for people that are very right-brained, their trauma processing is really intense because yeah. they feel it. They feel all of it, and they feel it all over again, and it's very overwhelming to them. And as a therapist, our job is to step into that space and give a container for all of that feeling yeah. to be felt in and then begin to guide it into an integration with the left hemisphere through story and yeah. beginning to put those pieces together and making sense of what they experienced. Yeah. In my experience of, of working with both type of dominance and clients, I think there's a tendency for people to avoid traumatic memory just in general. Sure. But I think the way that they avoid those those memories is different so the way that a left brain dominant person is going to avoid it is just by wrapping clean enough story around it right, to right. just like explain it away yes. yeah let me tell you a very rational cognitive story yes. about what happened whereas to a right brain dominant person is going to be more uh more afraid or outwardly fearful in mm -hmm. their avoidance of that story they might say like Oh, I, I don't know. Right, I can't. I, I'm not ready oh, yeah, I don't know. to and go there. Very practically, and this may be a little bit activating to hear. So if you have a trauma story of your own, which most of us do, just be aware that as I say this, it might activate something. Um, the way that this shows up a lot is I can feel that something bad happened yes. to me. But I am not ready to say yeah. the truth of what it was. Mm-hmm. I know that something is back there, but I don't. It's in know. my body. Yeah. My body reacts to it. I react to things that I see on TV. I react to certain kinds of people. I'm reacting in my relationships, but my my right hemisphere is not ready to tell the truth to my left hemisphere. So that that's very important. What yes, you just said. Yeah. Yes. So that we can actually articulate the truth of our own lived experience, because yeah. sometimes the truth of our own story. Too much. Too much. So that's where I want to get into maybe what what our brain does when faced with an overwhelming event mm -hmm. that had nobody mm -hmm. to attune to. Mm -hmm. That, you know, kind of that's our definition of trauma when anything is too much too soon, too much for too long, or too mm -hmm. little for too long. Mm -hmm. And one of the things to add to that is that in that space, there was nobody out there to help us through it yes. or to help us make sense of it, yes. to feel those things. Mm -hmm. When we're faced with that situation, the two the two parts that meet in the middle of our brain have to figure out mm -hmm. what we're going to do mm -hmm. with the pieces. Mm -hmm. And there's something um, that I talk about with every client is the disintegrating effect of trauma. Mm -hmm. And that just means the brain essentially just kind of comes apart. Yeah. We don't know how to make sense of this yeah. 
this experience or this feeling that we're having. And and the the neurobiology, what's actually happening there is decreased communication amongst those brain regions. Yeah, it's essentially like the meeting time was lost. Mm-hmm. We don't know when we were supposed to meet. The person didn't show up to the meeting. Like that's what's happening in the middle of the brain. They got on the, the Zoom brain. call at the wrong time. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and so we're just stand, like, I don't know what's going on. We, we have a really important meeting. Check the email, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a really important meeting, but no one's here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, very simply, the shutdown sequence um, which trauma, we've talked about this in other podcasts before, but trauma just has this, essentially sends a wave through the brain that just starts to shut things down mm-hmm. the way, you know, old computers had to go through a sequence of shutdown, mm-hmm. you know, it had to close all the applications first yes. and then it had to, you know, shut down the operating system and then the monitor went dark. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really helpful analogy to see how the brain just naturally goes through uh, the the different states of the nervous system and will just start to shut down Mm -hmm. across so if you think of your right arm coming over and touching above your left eye and then you drag that across your skull down to the back right behind your right ear that is the way the brain just naturally starts to shut down Mm -hmm. and what that means in a traumatic situation is that you're going to lose any type of temporal groundedness or like, I don't know. And temporal means time specific. Time specific memory. Mm-hmm. So when things are happening, how things come in order, mm-hmm. um, what uh, was the actual progression of things. And this is why trauma stories, when we try to recollect them, often have um, a very fuzzy timeline. Yeah. Like, and lots I of confusion. I don't really know. Yeah. Well, I mean, just personally, I've had lots of people say, so when did that event happen in your life? You know, yeah. some significant traumas. And I'm like, uh, somewhere between five and 10 years ago. That's yeah. about as specific as I can get. And yeah. I know that sounds so insane. So five years. Yes. Yeah. Like I know that literally sounds crazy that this event in my life that yeah. was obviously so impactful um, and left such a deep imprint on me, but I don't know when it happened. And the reason for that is the shutdown sequence. One of the first places to go is the, the time stamper yeah. part of our brain. And that's because... When we're in an overwhelming situation, our brain starts to say, what is the most important process that we can be yes. doing at this point? Yes. Time doesn't matter. No. We're just trying to survive. Yes. So your resources are better used elsewhere. Mm-hmm. We're going into survival mm-hmm. mode. So time stamper, you're, you're being sent home for the That's day. Right. That's because right. I gotta need I need your hours elsewhere yep. and other people and other parts of the brain. So so I feel like there's a really useful parallel that happens biologically. Mm. So we're speaking neurobiologically. Yeah. And if we think about biologically, a very similar sequence of shutdown happens in the rest of our body, not just our nervous system, and that has to do with circulation and blood flow. Yes. Everything's synced up. Yes. And so you're literally your body takes its resources, which is in the form of blood. Yeah. That's where oxygen comes from, nutrients, etc. And says, you know what? You're about to be attacked. You don't need to worry about digestion right yeah. now. It is not important that you finish digesting that hamburger. Right. What's very important. We're going to pause that yes, entirely. Pause digestion. Yeah. And instead, we're going to send all of the blood to your extremities. Yeah. Because you're either going to need to run away, so legs need to be ready, mm-hmm. or you need to fight. So arms need to be yeah. ready. Yeah. This is when the sympathetic nervous system yes. comes online. Yes. Yeah. And so you know why we get that really weird sensation of like, like ooh, I cold run. chills? I run. Yes. And like, why do certain parts of my body feel hot and certain parts feel cold? That's because of changing circulation. Yeah. So that happens in response to threat. Yeah. And I love the parallel. So let's take it in time order. Yes. So while that's happening, the timekeeper is being sent home. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, so, see ya. We don't yeah, need goodbye. you right now. We're getting ready to Cutting run. Staff. So yeah, we're, we're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're, we're shutting down for the yes. day. Yes. Um, and then so as the shutdown sequence continues, now you're starting to get into this prioritizing 
um, threat mitigation. Mm -hmm. So just identifying potential sources of threat, evaluating mm -hmm. whether or not we have what it takes to either fight it or to run away from it. Yes. And, and the sync up between the information processing system and the shutdown sequence and the rest of our body is profound. That's so beautiful. for instance, yeah. in, in the rest of our biology, your eyes dilate. Mm -hmm. Why do our eyes dilate? Well, you need more you need information, in more stuff. like literally see more stuff yes. right now. And so your hearing also changes. Yes. You stop hearing. Even if you think about frequency, mm -hmm. you stop hearing the frequencies that human voices speak at. Right. And you start listening for really, really high, high stuff, like the crack low. of a, yes. of a, of a limb uh, yes. being walked over or yes. really low, like the growl of a predator. Uh -huh. Yes. Uh -huh. So your whole body is, is dilating to yeah. this, uh, increased stimuli awareness. Yes. yes. It's just is so beautiful. I always get like waves of awe when I think yeah. about the the synchronicity that happens between, yeah. you know, something in our, our environment signals potential danger. Yeah. And immediately, like effortlessly, yes. all of this starts to shift and change in that's our right. system. And that's dependent on your experience, uh, your past experience yeah. of threats similar right. to this. So that's the right. information processing system, again, remember that's shaped over time. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be, you know, if you've had similar enough situations in the past, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to start reacting more yes. uh, promptly than yes. you would had you not gone through something yeah. like that. And it's going to move you into the, uh, the strategies that you experienced as being most effective. That's right. And that gets super... We need to give examples right oh, now. Oh, yes. I feel Jen's voice saying... <laughs> I know, like, hey! <laughs> examples, examples. Yeah. Okay, so easy example. Three siblings in one family, okay? Mom uh, was an alcoholic. Oh. I mean... Here might, goes. Might as well. Yeah, let's right? get real. Right? Yeah. So... Uh, hi, Mom. <laughs> hi, yeah. So uh, one sibling is the oldest sibling. Yeah. And because she was the oldest, hmm. when mom was drunk her nervous system immediately starts to attune to mom and is monitoring how drunk is mom right now. Yeah. What kind of drunk? For what purpose? Yes. Yeah. And the purpose is I have to protect myself and my and siblings. my siblings. And now and suddenly keep mom alive. Yes. And and everybody and the best way to mitigate the threat of mom's temper when she is drunk is first line of defense, appease mom. Caretake. Yeah. Could I get her to bed? Yep. Right? Um, could I you know, get her a glass of water? Could yep. I feed her? Would she accept coffee? What could I do right now to try to uh, steer us out of this wreck yes. that I see coming? It's coming. Yeah. yeah. And so that nervous system is going to be highly, highly tuned in to mom's affect state how yep. is mom her feeling? emotional yes. experience how drunk is she is she had a bad day and as that goes on over time this child is going to be paying attention to how does mom seem when she walks in the door after work yeah has she already been drinking yeah does she go straight to the kitchen to get was a it drink? a bad day was it a bad day oh mom's had a good day i don't mm. have to worry i can Less relax drinking. yes nice. yeah um and so the monitoring starts to heighten and increase and over time this nervous system it's predictive yes it develops into the ultimate caretaker yep prediction making machine oriented towards caretaking yes. of mom and yes. then of siblings also this uh, child is very likely to become a therapist someday <laughs> yes yes one of the very familiar origin stories yes yes um and because that is the strategy that's mm -hmm. the strategy that that particular child because of a lot of different reasons temperament personality um birth order attachment style all of that that is a strategy that that nervous system learned. Yeah. Middle child chose a different strategy. Very different strategy. Yes. Middle child decided, you know what? When older sister is trying to do the caretaking thing, 
I'm going to step in, except I'm going to try to distract everybody from what's happening. Yeah. Maybe if I'm silly enough. Silly, yes. Funny enough, the entertaining gesture. enough. Yeah, 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 maybe I can like distract mom and, and get her in a good mood so that she doesn't have to drink. Right. So, at least she's not mad when she's yes, drunk. Yes, yes. And, and Happy if, mom drunk is better than yes, mad mom Yes, yes. Silly drunk, mom yeah. drunk. You know, maybe I can put on some music. Maybe we right. can have a dance party in the kitchen and instead. And then she'll go to bed. Yes. Yeah. And, and so this strategy develops of I'm going to keep everybody lighthearted and, a, and in a good mood, mm. right? And so there's still going to be that monitoring aspect. Aspect, but the minute that there is a threat picked up, rather than moving into caretaking, we're going to move into entertainer, yeah. the jokester. And imagine how that shows up at school Uh-oh. when there's stress. ADHD? I don't know. No. Right? Maybe yeah. they get sent to the principal's office for acting out quite a bit. Yeah, exactly. Right? Hey, your kid won't be quiet during class. They keep distracting their peers by telling jokes. Yeah. Oh, mm. okay. When I'm stressed. They're a little upset? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. When, when they're stressed, they move into this um, entertainer mode. Yeah. And then we have third child, the baby youngest. child. And now we, we've got all kinds of options Sweet here. Baby. Yeah, there's not just three strategies, just so right. you know, there's lots. Yeah, this is just one story. Yes, but one potential strategy for this little one is to either over-identify with mom yep. and crawl up in her lap and try to protect mom from the advances of the other two siblings and be a buffer in that space or could go the entire other way and go hide in the closet. Yep. It just depends on what did Shut they down. experiment with mm-hmm. and what seemed to work best yeah and how did mom respond to that yeah yeah Yeah. was it better to just go be in the closet play barbies by myself and never talk to anybody when mom was in that mood yeah Mm -hmm. go to bed early yeah yeah exactly so all of this is just one example of you think about that going every day for Mm -hmm. those children Mm -hmm. for that family Mm -hmm. that the information processing systems of each of the kids are going to change over time in in service of safety and survival of connection Mm -hmm. in that space how can we make it through this Mm -hmm. because this is just our life yeah and can't change this it is a very very likely path that caretaker would then maybe marry or date people that also struggle with addiction because that's a really familiar pattern and it feels kind of like love sure and the entertainer may decide you know what's a really great way to entertain somebody is to get drunk with them there you go so maybe i develop an addiction problem of my own Mm -hmm. so as we mature and we gain access to different resources resources and big time scare quotes there yeah yeah um these are different strategies regulation strategies yeah Yeah. um so for instance the third child if they were the one that hid in the closet when it was bad they're going to move out as soon as possible yeah and they're going to go to college in a different state and they're never going to talk to their family yeah and older sister is going you've abandoned the family how could how you could just you leave that? us yes because we made it through together yes That's we what's have the most to stick together thing. this yeah. is how we survive youngest kid said i didn't make it through because nope. of that no i hit and I so i'm going to continue to so run and that. hide yeah <laughs> Yes. So as, I think that this is just a good example of the the strategies that we develop in response to the environment that we grow up in. And all of these different strategies are an example yeah. of how did the brain bring in that information? Yep. What Makes did it decide it. Yeah. was important? Yes. What did it decide to hold on to and really remember? What bits of information to decide, you know what, that's not helpful or relevant. I'm going to ignore that. Mm-hmm. And this this way of organizing our experience and our information gives rise to 
hemispheric dominance. Yes, and that's one of the points that I think is is um, a critique to how the hemispheric dominance is typically talked about. Mm-hmm. It's talked about very much from a top-down perspective, right. which is right. that these hemispheres are making all the decisions. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Um, no, they're they animated by much, much lower processes. Deeper yeah. origins, um, yeah. deeper in the brain. So we keep talking about the nervous system. Mm-hmm. That is what's making possible all of these different reaction strategies and all of these different... Um, uh, activation pathways and the way the body responds to stress and threat. And we talked about uh, lots of fight and flight just mm-hmm. now. There's also the freeze response, which is the shutdown yes. response. And and so all of that is coloring how the hemispheres start to develop and make sense because your prefrontal cortex, that shiny big part in the front of your brain, isn't fully developed until you're 25 years right. old. Right. So it's still taking and learning, how mm-hmm. do I handle situations? Mm-hmm. Then how do I make sense of that situation? Mm-hmm. How do I make sense of the connections I have in those situations? So to think of it from a top-down perspective is just nonsensical. Yes. They yeah. are, the left and right hemisphere are trying their best to uh, make sense of the developmental history mm-hmm. of your brain mm-hmm. and of your 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 mind and how you understand yourself and others and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. So it's very much related to your history, to your attachment style and all of that stuff of how mm-hmm. you move through life. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe a good way to kind of wrap up this conversation is how is it supposed to work? Mm. <laughs> yeah. It never actually works the way it's supposed to work because, you know, life is very lifey and full of uh, trauma. And we've talked about why we define trauma in such loose terms because um, all of us have quite a bit of it. So how we're supposed to do it um, Mm -hmm. has a lot to do with culture, actually. Mm -hmm. What does culture say, at least in America, is um, the most desirous strategy of moving through the world? Mm -hmm. Proficiency, efficiency, achievement. Yes. Productivity. Yes. Career success, money making, capitalism. That's right. Individualism. Which is a very much a left brain dominant yes. cultural yes. Um, template. Yeah. We prioritize being confident and articulate and masculine mm-hmm. in, in the, the cultural sense. Yes. Um, and if we think about school mm-hmm. and the way that school is set up, it is a very left hemisphere yeah. experience. Lots of rigid rules. Sit still for many hours. Time. Memorize things. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no, yeah, pay attention to time and when you're supposed to be in one place and not the other. Mm-hmm. Um, organize all of these things in this order. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you can be wrong yes. uh, a lot and your worth is basically dependent on your ability right, to be right, right. There, yeah there's a right answer wrong answer black yeah. white good bad et yes exactly yeah. Yeah. whereas and this is coming from an author uh, named ian mcgilchrist mm-hmm. um and we can put that into the show notes but he wrote a book called the master and his emissary mm-hmm. and that book he's a neuroscientist and a poet mm-hmm. which i love that combination so i feel like <laughs> but, there, there's an important caveat okay. as we recommend this book yes it's more thick. so i'm recommending his youtube <laughs> yeah, videos okay that, uh, that's a good way of saying it. yes go Google and YouTube, Ian McGilchrist, Master and His Emissary. But there is a want to read the book, it's gigantic. Yes. For (laughs) clients I always recommend the the uh YouTube videos and then the podcasts yes. that he's on yeah. and stuff and like that. And he has some shorter things besides yeah, that. Definitely. Text. That yeah. can also help you understand it. For therapists, yeah. I obviously recommend the book. Um, and uh, that has been something that has enriched my understanding of the mm-hmm. hemispheres very, very much. But mm-hmm. he um, tells this story uh, from Nietzsche, a mm-hmm. uh, philosopher, that illustrates this um, kind of this way of 
assuming how the story is going to unfold and what should happen versus what was intended to happen. And so I'm going to just briefly tell the story. But it's essentially a, a master is growing in his popularity uh, in his land, in his kingdom. You know, it's growing and it's flourishing. He has many uh, people that uh, admire him and, and look up to him and rely on him to provide for the kingdom. And in that growth, he's realizing that he just can't be everywhere all at once. Mm -hmm. So he needs to start to find people that he trusts and hire them as his emissaries, as his uh, representatives. And maybe, you know, if you think back to uh, kind of like knights and, and uh, mm -hmm. different things, it's easy to imagine this story unfolding where, you know, the king has to have representatives to uh, take his message out into the lands because yeah. email wasn't a thing yet. The email wasn't a thing, that's right. And have uh, different people over different uh, sections of land, maybe different viceroys or mm -hmm. lords that are over different things. And uh, so he does that, things are going well. But then one of these emissaries gets the bright idea, you know, this king, this master, I could do it a lot better. Mm -hmm. I could, I could make it more profitable. Mm -hmm. I could I could get more return on my mm -hmm. on my crops and all of my things. I could be much more efficient. I could be a way better master yeah. than he could. Mm -hmm. And so he starts to take things for himself. He starts mm -hmm. to twist the message. Twist the message and manipulate people and exploit people for productivity and growth. All in the name of the king. That's right. Saying this is the master's orders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so quickly uh, we start to see that the the emissary is usurping mm -hmm. the control and the intention of the master, the bene the benevolent, uh, you know, good fortune mm -hmm. and well intention of the master for his own growth, mm -hmm. for his own ego, mm -hmm. and quickly the master has to confront the emissary and say, "This isn't what I intended for you to do." But the but the emissary has amassed such an army now that he overthrows mm -hmm. the master and sets a kingdom up that is focused on exploitation. Mm -hmm. Totally different agenda. Totally different agenda. You know, it's the, now the, the darkness mm -hmm. sets in over the land. Uh, Lion King, this mm -hmm. is, <laughs> you know, this is Scar, Scar. taking over. Um, when Mufasa uh -huh. is gone. Uh -huh. uh, our culture tells these stories a lot, <laughs> actually. But um, this is the story that Ian McGilchrist tells to set up his book called mm -hmm. The Master and His Emissary where the left hemisphere stepped outside of its intention, which was to be the, the confidant and close companion of the right hemisphere, but very much so yeah. the lesser. And the translator of the heart. That's right. Of the right hemisphere. Yes, imagine that story, but where the, the master has a trusted mm -hmm. and, and, and meaningful friendship that we're able to work together mm -hmm. to accomplish the dreams and the benevolence and the, the good fortune of the right hemisphere, the master, through the articulation and the planning and the mm -hmm. organizing of, of material and of resources of mm -hmm. the left hemisphere, of the emissary. Mm -hmm. Anything is possible. Mm -hmm. But because the left hemisphere, because the emissary took over, now we have a broken system right. that's exploiting and hurting other people. Right. Are you talking about American culture right now, Bridger? Well, yes. <laughs> I'm talking about Western civilization yes. and capitalism as a whole. But uh -huh. that's my opinion. Yes. So, yes, I am. Mm -hmm. But the intention, I think, is really profound in that it's supposed to be master over emissary. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for the brain? The right hemisphere 
is the dominant hemisphere that yeah. we that we are intended to have. It has the functioning necessary to see big picture, to yeah. see and take in new ideas, yeah. to foreshadow what the future actually is, not predict yeah. it with the sake of survival, but just to be open to new things. And then it's communicating its desires, mm-hmm. its dreams, its ideas, its passions. Well, and I think it's truth. Yes. Because one of the things that has happened in the last, you know, two decades in the world of trauma and trauma research is the understanding that just like Bridger is explaining that we have overly emphasized the role of cognition and Mm -hmm. thinking and story and it just doesn't work for the healing of trauma. And, you know, pioneers in the field and the granddaddies that we all look up to, such as Bessel van der Kolk and Peter Levine and um, researchers like that, have been pointing to this and saying, hey, the body matters. Yes. And when we're looking at the brain-body connection, that is a right hemisphere-dominant connection. Yes. The information, the nerves that carry information from body to brain are mostly in communication with the right hemisphere first. Mm. And so when, you know, like in Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, the point of all of this research is saying, if you want to tell yourself the truth about what you've experienced, ask your body. Mm-hmm. And your body communicates through your right hemisphere. Yeah. It is the holder of the truth of your lived experience. When we ask our left hemisphere, the best we're getting is a secondhand translation. It's they watched the movie. Yeah. And as is telling us. Or maybe they just read the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Read the synopsis on yeah. the back of it. Um, and they're giving their version of it, which is fine, except it is farther away from the truth mm-hmm. than the lived experience of the right hemisphere's deep and personal connection, yeah. close, close connection with the the um, afferent nerves. Yeah, I don't uh, want to. I don't care about the plot of the movie. I want to know mm. what the score felt like yeah. in the introduction what did you of the feel movie. Feel yeah. when you watched the it. opening credits. Yes. How did the sound yeah. mix with the colors That's of the right. screen? The That's the synopsis right. has nothing about no. that. Yeah, no. Yeah, and I mean, why do we watch movies when we could just read? the the cliff's notes because we want we want to feel it yes and that is the that right brain lived embodied yes somatic experience so then what is the role of the left if it was the way it's supposed to be what role does the left hemisphere the left hemisphere is the voiceover yes of the movie the commentary it's all the yes and it's important but it holds nothing to if we put the movie in black and white cut out all of the dramatic scenes and had no music in the background it's just a script yeah and Great. it's yeah yeah <laughs> neat yeah um and i think you know conceptualizing it that way and understanding that to be human is to be embodied yes like we have this big beautiful nervous system body that is constantly taking in information it's wildly and, interconnected yes it's all in sync yes. But the struggle is, is that that is where trauma is felt. That's right. And so when we have lived through trauma, it is so tempting. That's not even the right word. Necessary mm-hmm. to find a way to disconnect from the intensity yeah. of the felt it's experience yeah, of the traumas that we live through. And so the left hemisphere, just like that story, rides in and says, I have an idea. I'll take over for a minute. That's right. And then sometimes we forget to ask the emissary to step down so that the king can come back on yeah. the throne. That's right. And in trauma therapy, we spend a lot of time exploring with people, how do we get 
that switch yeah. in good trauma again. therapy. Yes, and right. go, yeah. yeah, in good trauma therapy. The master comes back. Yes, and often there is a tug of war, mm-hmm. and the left is going, no, 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 wait a second. Yeah. Hey, this is not how yeah. we agreed to yeah. do this. This is dangerous. Yeah. Don't you? Don't you, were you remember? Supposed to go away. Don't you remember why you put me in charge That's in the right. first place? And uh, you know, as we sort of bring back that right felt experience. Um, there's a lot of sensation in there. Like, holy cow, I'm feeling all kinds of things. And that feeling is scary. Mm -hmm. And so part of good trauma therapy is being able to feel the felt experience of our trauma while also feeling. Having the story. Yes, and feeling safe. That's right. I am safe in in this place. Yeah, Mm -hmm. in this place with this person, it is safe for me to feel all of my feelings to the intensity that I needed to. Yeah. And one once I can, then suddenly the true story of what I've lived through actually yeah. emerges. Mm-hmm. And the left can come in and say, Oh, I understand now. Yeah. I thought I knew the story. But I, thought I, I was had, doing a good thing. Yeah. I was trying to help and you know, thank you, left hemisphere, for doing the best you could in the meantime. Like seriously. Keeping I mean us that. alive. Appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. Like thank you for taking yeah. over. But what would it mean now for us to come back into partnership yeah. and have such a, a fuller, richer, truer, lived yes. story of what yeah. we've been through? What is one of the last questions? What is the main point that you want people to take away from this episode? Oh. I have mine already. Okay. I ask it knowing. <laughs> because this is what I work with, I mean, yeah. every day with, with clients, mm. is that it's not about one or the other. Mm-hmm. It's about both. Yeah. In the bothness of it, I want you, and I say this exactly like this to the, to the clients, I want you to be able to dream again mm-hmm. and to have plans for the future mm-hmm. and to do things that you enjoy yes. and to know what you enjoy yes. and to know how to go about organizing your day so that you can have things that you enjoy and do yeah. meaningful things. But I also want you to know your story. Mm-hmm. I also want you to know how you got here. Mm-hmm. I also want you to be able to tell a coherent narrative mm-hmm. of your self-identity, how you mm-hmm. understand yourself. Who yes. are you? Yes. What makes you you? Mm-hmm. What makes you a part of the family you came from? Mm-hmm. Even if it was hard, even if it was horrific, mm-hmm. all of those things made you who you are and you're mm-hmm. here today. So I want you to be able to dream again, and I want you to know your story, and I want you to be able to do all the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. If it's learning, I want you to be able to learn again. Yeah. I want you to be able to to remember things again. Mm-hmm. I want you to be able to organize ideas and right. and to speak yeah, have without stuttering and yeah, exactly without brain, yes. confusion and saying I don't know, I lost yeah. the word. Yeah, but to speak in a in a very clear and present way, mm-hmm. and I want you to be able to enjoy relationships again. Yes. And that is all possible with an integrated mind. Yes. When the right is over the left and we're experiencing things as a union, as a partnership again, mm-hmm. we can do those things. But yeah. when we start to get tilted or lopsided again, that's when mm-hmm. we start to see disintegration. Mm-hmm. So I would say yes to all of that. Yes. Like that is identical to, you know, kind of how I would frame what my goal is for people. But I think a true and embodied story of what that means. Yeah is you know my own version of that and i have several of them but the most recent one is the difference between you know post trauma with my daughter holding her when she was little in in a disintegrated traumatized brain because of everything Mm -hmm. that we went through with her health i would hold her and i couldn't feel how much i loved her 
I knew I did. The information was there. The awareness that I did was there. Mm -hmm. But the experience, my body couldn't feel it. I couldn't connect with it because it had been so necessary to shut that down in the midst of trying to keep her alive. And it was Mm -hmm. the best and smartest thing I ever did because, you know, when we got the news about her health, my body fainted. It just like took me out because it's like, excuse me, I have to leave. Her brain said goodbye. <laughs> like, yeah, like too much, too much. Go. Yeah. And so, you know, left hemisphere took over and said, I got it. I'll, yep. I'll handle it. And but then you know, she lived and we made it out of that. And now we're at home and I have a healthy baby or health, you know, healthy enough baby. And I'm sitting at home and I'm feeling I can't feel it still. Right brain's still not there. Yeah, we're still not there. And over time and through therapy and EMDR and a whole lot of processing and, you know, trauma healing, yeah. I I actually remember. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I remember I'm <laughs> the first time and I have a video of it. Oof. So I had taken her to the hospital for a follow-up visit and uh, you know it was so therapeutic for me when the doctors would say she's doing great we're so happy with how she's doing and it's like you know just a little bit of the trauma would kind of get chipped off in that moment and my body would relax a little bit and come back online and we were I was with my mom um, and we were back in the hotel that evening and Honora my daughter she was let's see Two and a half months old, three months mm-hmm. old, right around there at this point. Once again, the trauma timeline, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Somewhere in the zone in of the two past, to six months, I yeah. Um, so she's laying on the bed, and I was taking video of her, and my mom reached over and tickled her thigh. And for the very first time in her life, Honora laughed. Oh, wow. And she laughed like full on little baby, just chuckle giggle, her whole little fat body just jiggling. <laughs> And I was overcome and just like the wash of warmth. And it's, it's the, you know, the Grinch story of my heart grew three sizes that day. And it's like, ow, that feels like a lot. (laughs) That's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. Um, And I do, I remember in that moment, my right hemisphere, the affect of my love for my daughter showed up. It had always been there. But the synapses connected and kaboom, mm-hmm. all of it was available again. And, you know, there, there were other moments where even more came back and even more came back. Um, and I'll notice that now that when we go through a season where we're more concerned about her health, I lose that. But then, you know, when we get good news, all of that comes back yeah. online and it's such a clear picture. Yeah. And that is exactly what I want for my clients. So beautiful. Is that you can feel... The connection how, happen again. Yes. You can feel how much you love things. Yeah. You can feel how much pleasure your body is really capable of, how mm. much joy you're really capable of, because that is what trauma steals from us, yeah. is the, the joy and the enjoyment and the pleasure of what our body... I mean, that is, that's what our body is for. Feeling. Yeah, it's, it's for feeling yeah. things. And, and trauma teaches us to be afraid of our own feeling. Yeah, because they're going to so, overwhelm you. That's right. And trauma healing is coming back into relationship with the sensation of our own body mm-hmm. and calling it all good and necessary and beautiful, even when it's painful, but trusting that we can feel it and be okay. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So thank you for listening to this. Um, Before we wrap up, we have a couple things we want to talk about. So um, at Beyond Healing Center, which is the practice that uh, Mel, myself, Jen, and a lot of other wonderful people work for, Mm -hmm. uh, we do something uh, called a retreat, Mm -hmm. which is for people. uh, If you're listening to this, you can definitely look this up. 
um, but it's for people to uh, come spend uh, any amount of time really yeah. at all. Yeah. But we usually we like three to organize, or five days, yeah, yeah. three or five days of um, kind of orchestrated uh, healing experiences mm-hmm. for you. It's a healing program that we tailor make to you, and we yeah. kind of have a a menu of things that you can choose from therapy, EMDR therapy, body-based therapies, craniosacral, yoga therapy, massage therapy, equine therapy, equine therapy. horses. Yeah. That's right. Um, so we have a, a, a huge array of things that you can select yeah. and really tailor make your own uh, healing retreat experience that yeah. is specifically focused on resolving trauma. Yeah. And we do it all through our own conceptualization model. Mm-hmm. We make everything uh, kind of centered around that and, and the goal being for you to understand and yeah. integrate yeah. all of that. Yeah. So if you're curious about that, um, you can go to our website, which is beyondhealingcenter.com and look at retreats. Um, we also do free consultation calls for that. So yes. if you're curious about whether or not that would be a good fit for you, you can do it whether you're not in therapy right now with a therapist um, as a way of kind of starting that process. Or if you're currently working a therapist, mm-hmm. we can um, communicate with your current therapist to make a treatment plan specifically for you and your needs and where you yeah. are in that healing journey. But it's a, a beautiful and super yeah. fun So uh, you process can go through us. the website there or you can email us at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing that we wanted to talk about was our Patreon. Yeah. Patreon is an awesome platform that helps connect um, podcasters and uh, just businesses or organizations with people that want to get involved in supporting what they're mm-hmm. doing, which for us lets us uh, do more of these podcasts. Yes. It lets us uh, get content out to more people to help more people. And uh, it just lets us uh, build community, which is what we're really all about, is taking this information to people and helping them understand what the process of healing is like and Mm -hmm. what good therapy is and the hope that's out there for people, even from the darkest of of stories. And so that um, is patreon.com slash beyond trauma podcast. Yes. And you can uh, submit uh, or you can sign up uh, for um, different tiers on there Mm -hmm. that kind of fit your budget, or you can do a one-time thing. Anything really helps. and, And we love to continue to see our community grow. Yeah. So, yeah. So feel free to reach out in any of those ways. And thank you guys so much for listening. Safe journeys, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Trauma, a psychotherapy podcast from therapists for clients about the journey of trauma recovery. While resources like this can be helpful, they should never take the place of or be used as therapy. We encourage you to find a trauma-informed therapist in your area to be your guide in this healing journey. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and we would appreciate it if you could leave us a review. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at beyondtraumapodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in.